You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Imperial Lopez, and I am a new member here at Redeemer Church Odessa. And I'm going to be... And I'm going to be reading Ruth 4, 1, so it says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is still selling the parcel, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me. That way I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the fields from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the woman of the, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Kilian and Malan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Imperial. Hey, good morning. My name is Tanner House. I'm the the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, If you're a guest, uh, again, thank you for being here. There's a connect card under your chair. You can take a minute, fill that out. Get it back to me. Let us know how we can serve you. Let us know how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the ESV. So the year was uh, 2013. Um, Kendra and I went to Canada on a, on a mission trip with, with our youth group when I was a youth pastor um, that one time. Um, 
we were at this big church, and we, uh, we had this decent-sized youth group, and, and we went to Saskatchewan, Canada. And in Saskatchewan, the biggest city in the whole province is about the size of Lubbock. So, like, when most people think of Canada, they're thinking, like, Toronto or Vancouver. No, this is, like, little bitty Lubbock. And everything else around was like little rural communities, like 100 people here, 75 people here. And they were broken up into tribes, or, or they called them bands. And so like, it's like our definition of the Apaches and the Comanches. Like, they're still like together in these little tribal bands. And so we, we went to Canada on this mission trip. There are two guys on staff with me, and they volunteered to drive the large trailer full of supplies from Odessa to Roster in Saskatchewan, Canada. Um, the people that were leading this mission trip were like, we need all of this stuff and that fit in a giant trailer. They were kind of like, this is like pre- prepping me for my church planning days in the Fun Dome. We have this trailer. Somebody's got to get it there. Um, but then they said, hey... We need somebody to get it back. We get, these two guys are going to drive it up there. We need two people to drive it back. And so I'm like 25 and had never driven a trailer before in my life. So I thought it'd be a good idea to volunteer. So I volunteered. And I went and practiced backing it up. I could back that trailer into a parking spot at Comanche Park. And so those guys were like, cool, you can, you can do this. So they, they took the trailer. They went to Canada. We were there for a week. And Kendra and I loaded it up. And I was confident enough because of my one time at Comanche Park, one hand will turn, getting it back into the parking spot. I should... Uh, I was confident enough that I could get this trailer back to Odessa from Canada. I should also say that there's a little bit of self-serving interest for me in volunteering to drive that trailer because I have a goal of getting to all 50 states. At the time, it was before I turned 40, um, but then kids started happening. So now I've pushed that goal to 50, 50 by 50. That's what I'm saying. So this is a way for me to knock several states off of my list. And I had zero problems in my head. Like, I could back this trailer up at Comanche Park in Odessa, Texas. I could certainly drive this trailer north-south across North America. Watch me. So Kendra and I took off, and we had zero problems. We got across customs in Montana, and we had a nice night in the Howard Johnson in Wilston, North Dakota, which is, in fact, the Odessa of North Dakota. Um, So a small portion, day one, we knocked off like 600 miles in day one, and we had zero problems. The next day, we took off towards Rapid City, South Dakota as our destination so we could see Mount Rushmore and and the Crazy Horse Monument. And that's when things get a little dicey for me. I saw a sign that said, Scenic Byway. And so I said, yep. And I took this giant truck and this giant, giant trailer on the scenic byway. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever been to South Dakota or the Black Hills. It's beautiful. You should go if you haven't. But also, it's like, it's tough in a Prius. And I have this giant trailer and this giant truck. And I'm like taking these, these switchbacks after switchbacks, swinging that thing all over, all over the road. To go forward in the Black Hills, you must go back um, around a mountain and on this narrow piece of dirt that they call a highway. Um, 
and I had that giant trailer behind me, and I had a truck that wasn't mine, and a wife who I'm trying to keep calm and alive. Um, but eventually, we made it to our destination, and we saw some amazing things. And eventually, we made it home after four or five days of just having a really sweet time. Sands the scenic byway part. Uh, it was a really sweet time of just getting to hang out with one another. And I think if, if we're honest, like the Christian life is a lot like this. It's a lot like pulling a giant trailer through the Black Hills. Like it isn't always easy. But if you're aware of the Lord working, you can see some beautiful and amazing things on a road that's marked with suffering and difficulty and pain. And eventually you do make it to Cheyenne, Wyoming, like back to the interstate, um, where the road is straight and flat. And then sometimes you have to pull your truck and trailer through downtown Denver during rush hour before you get to the panhandle of West Texas, where there's just flat land and beautiful sunsets to guide you home. Man, the Christian life can be described like this. It's not always straightforward. It's not always easy. A lot of times we're faced with difficulty for the sake of being Christians. A lot of times we're faced with difficulty for the sake of following Christ. And we have to go through difficult seasons and difficult circumstances. And through it all, we have the promises of God to us. We have the promises of God to us that we serve a God who sees us in the midst of our struggle who wants us in the midst of our struggle, and who is with us all through it all in the midst of our struggle. Even when we can't see he's working, we can trust that he is. And that's kind of been the theme throughout our walk through Ruth, that God is not idle in our circumstances. Perhaps, um, Christians, perhaps, struggling Christians in here, listen to me, God is using these hard circumstances to draw you more fully into the sphere of his love. And perhaps God is using these difficult circumstances to draw you more completely into his plan and his will for your life. So that's where we're going to pick up our narrative today. Uh, let's pray and we're going to jump in. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I'm just thank you for, thankful for the example in the scriptures of people who suffer and endure and persevere because we can see your hand at work in their lives and in their stories. Lord, may that be our story as well. That we would be f faithful to you. And Lord, thank you for being faithful to us even when we are faithless. Lord, lead and guide our time this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be diligent in binding up wounds. Lord, just show us our great need for you. Church, I'd ask if you're willing that you'd pray for yourself. That the Lord would bring conviction where conviction is needed and encouragement where encouragement is needed. Lord, we invite you to do a work here this morning. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Ruth 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Boaz 
had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. All right, so just a quick review. For the last two weeks, we've seen Ruth and Boaz's relationship take an interesting turn. Boaz has provided above and beyond for not only Ruth, but also her mother-in-law, Naomi. Boaz has given them an ephah of grain, which is 35 pounds of grain. And then last week in our text, he gave them six measures, which is 80 pounds of grain. So Boaz has provided them over the last two weeks of text with over 100 pounds of food. But more than that, he's protected Ruth from like would-be assailants. Um, he is a kind man, is what we're seeing. And, and in our last week's text, we see Bo, Boaz was asleep at the threshing floor, and Ruth comes in and, in a strange custom, uncovers his feet and proposes marriage to Boaz. Because Boaz is a kinsman redeemer for them, which we're going to review what that is in a second. So Boaz tells them, yes, I am willing to redeem you, but there is another man in our family, in our clan, that has a more legitimate claim to this redemption, a more legitimate claim to you, Ruth, and a more legitimate claim to Naomi's property than I do. And if he is unwilling to redeem you, then I certainly would be delighted to do so. So as we approach this text this morning, Ruth and Naomi's whole life is about to be altered in one way or another. Their destitution seems to be coming to an end. So Boaz goes to the city gate and he takes a seat. The city gate is where stuff happens in these communities. It's kind of hard to imagine for us in like our day and culture. I was trying to think of where our city gate was like, Ratliff Stadium, I don't know. Um, the city gate, though, is like social media for the day. The life of the community would f- uh, flow through the things that happened at the city gate. It's where all the information of the community would be passed along. Local news, local gossip, politics, business. All of this was done at the city gate. And the community was out there watching it all take place. It was a spacious place. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these old cities in our, in our country. Growing up, I'm from New Mexico, so growing up, we'd go to Santa Fe sometimes. And Santa Fe is several hundreds of years old. Um, it's older than the United States, old. Um, and they have this town square there right in the middle of the city. And back in the day, that's where things would get done. So think of it like this. There's a square where all this stuff is happening, and it's essentially like a modern-day courthouse, but they do it outside. So Boaz goes there. He's waiting on this guy that he knows this guy's eventually going to have to walk past this place. And so he calls out as he sees this guy walk, and he calls out to this unnamed fellow. He's like, hey, buddy, woo-woo, come over here. Come sit down. We got to talk. Uh, and then he grabbed ten of the elders, ten men of the city, and they joined in this, in this exchange. So the discussion then begins in verse 3. He says, then he, verse 3 says, Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. 
If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Looks like things are about to end for Boaz and Ruth. But Boaz is here, he's like, all right, kinfolk, uh, Naomi needs to sell her property, and you and I are the ones who can redeem it. You have the first right of refusal, so make a decision now. Redeem it or not, and if you can't, then, then I will. So here's where we need to just be reminded of, of what a redeemer is. Um, a kinsman redeemer is in place to ensure that the property of a deceased familial relative, that their family line would not be wiped out. One would redeem the property, and also the family members would, would be his to then provide for. So in this scenario, the redeemer would get the property, the, the field, but he'd also have to provide for Naomi and whatever belonged to Naomi, and in this case, that'd be, that'd be Ruth. So the redeemer would take the property of the deceased relative, and if there were no kids, like in this scenario, he would then have to raise up a child with the deceased's wife in order that the property would stay where it belonged. So we have this piece of property. It is the only thing that Naomi owns, and I imagine that this idea of her having to sell it is about to be crushing to her. But Naomi and Ruth are poor and destitute. Land in this culture is not like land for us. We move houses because we want a, a room for our kids' toys to live in rent-free. But land for these folks is like spiritually significant. God had given them this land. God had given them this land by allotments in the book of Joshua. He broke it up by tribes. And then they subdivided it by clans. And then it was subdivided again by families. So the land and the spiritual life of the people are intertwined. That's why these laws are in place. It's not a means for somebody to get rich. It's a law of love to keep the land within the family. Thus reminding them of their identity as a chosen people of God. But Naomi doesn't have a choice. She's got to sell this land. And so this land is then able to be redeemed according to this law. This pleases this unnamed redeemer. He appears to be about to make it out pretty good. He's about to get a decent piece of land at a discounted price. And he is no doubt thinking like, this is a good deal for me. I can start farming out this land and I can increase my crop, increase my harvest, and then increase my bankroll. This is a win-win for this unnamed redeemer. Boaz is like slow playing it here. He begins with Naomi. He's like, hey, remember our, our relative Naomi. He's diverting attention away from Ruth so that he may in fact be able to secure marriage to Ruth. Boaz is doing nothing wrong, nothing deceitful. Remember, the Bible has called Boaz a worthy man, a man of character. So if Boaz were deliberately sinning, if Boaz were being dishonest, the Bible would not be so kind to his character. Some commentators even go so far as to suggest that this guy, this unnamed redeemer, is unworthy to have a name in this story. 
Remember the context of the book of Ruth. This was a time where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. But not Boaz. Boaz is protecting Ruth because that's what Boaz has been doing. Boaz is a man motivated by God's nature, God's character. And so Boaz, again in this text, is protecting Ruth by slow playing this situation. Boaz tells this man, I'd like to redeem this property but you have the right to do it before me. There are uh, any college football fans in here? Chad, me and you, we're the only ones. Daniel, great. Adam? Yeah, all right, cool. Um, So I don't get to watch it as much now that I'm an adult, but I used to watch this most Saturday mornings in the fall, college game day. Um, They have this segment in the show where they pick the winners of a few games, and the panel picks and when they pick differently from each other then they kind of like make make jokes at each other a little snyder mark here or there there's this one really old guy on the panel like he's in his 80s and he picks fourth and every time the person before him picks differently he has this little pencil and he kind of pokes at him with the eraser side um and he's like not so fast my friend so Boaz gives this unnamed redeemer the Lee Corso not so fast my friend look what happens in verse five Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Boaz says, if you buy this land, you got to marry Ruth. So this property is no longer limited to your personal gain anymore. You got to marry Ruth. You get the land, you also get Ruth. Boaz says this is going to require something of you. Again, in this verse, we see that Ruth is a Moabite. So not only does it require marriage, you also have to have a baby with Ruth, a named redeemer, in order that the family line would continue. But she's a Moabite. She's from a cursed people. So you have to be okay with the fact that people are going to talk about you. You have to be okay that marrying Ruth puts your reputation on the line. You have to be okay with people saying whatever they will say about you and your marriage to a foreigner. I can just kind of hear a little tone in in Boaz's voice. Like, yo, cousin, are you sure you want to do this? The first child born to Ruth from her new husband would actually belong to her dead husband, His name was Malon, according to the law. So Malon's son would inherit the field. So essentially this man would be marrying um, Ruth and buying a field for somebody else's kid. Verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. This knowledge of how great of a sacrifice were required is too far, too much, too much for this unnamed man. Ruth, Ruth, just simply by her presence in this deal, has made this deal far less attractive. Ian Dugan says about this, If there were to be a child from the relationship with Ruth, the Redeemer would lose the field, and there would be no benefit to his children in a state to compensate the cost involved in taking care of Naomi and Ruth. 
In other words, Mr. So-and-so was interested in ministry to the poor only if there was a payoff for himself and his family. Man, the narrator doesn't give us a ton of details, doesn't explain every detail of the law here, but what is in view are the attitudes of the two potential redeemers. Tony Marita says it this way, the anonymous relative is interested in himself. He is more concerned with his own welfare, his own property, his own prosperity, than the welfare of his relative Naomi. So he urges Boaz to redeem her property and her daughter-in-law. A true redeemer is the kind of person who is willing to pay a price for the good of others, and that is the mark of Boaz, not the other relative. It is fitting that no one knows this man's name, while Boaz, who reflects the selfless love of Christ, is remembered as a member of the line of the Messiah. The matter is settled. Boaz is in line to redeem the field and marry Ruth. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So the narrator says in former times, this is our equivalent of like back in the day, this is how things, things would happen. So this was written years after this story takes place. This unnamed fellow takes his shoe off and gives it to Boaz. Gross. Um, Just kidding. Feet were a symbol of ownership and power. So in this act, this man is transferring ownership of the right to redeem, and he's giving it to Boaz. Boaz says, everything that was Elimelech's and his son's, I am buying. And that includes Ruth, who is now my wife. You are all witnesses. He said this. He goes, this day you are all witnesses. Thus reaffirming his commitment to Ruth to have this matter settled quickly. Verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So the elders agreed. Yeah, this is good. They prayed for the newlyweds. And there are some things that I want to highlight for us in this prayer. First, they say, may the Lord make Ruth like Rachel and like Leah, who through them and their two handmaids became the mothers of 12 sons, which would then become the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's an interesting comparison here in these prayers. Like if you're familiar with Rachel and Leah and Tamar, we'll talk about her in a second. First, Rachel and Leah, um, in, in their case, in the book of Genesis, it tells us that it was God who opened their wombs. 
God opened their wombs in order that they may become pregnant and that they may become the mothers of the people of God. And this was all starting to take place when the promises that God made to Abraham to make him a great nation, when Rachel and Leah married Jacob, that looks like things are really starting to accelerate. I mean, 12 sons is a lot of, that's a lot of kids. I'm stressed out thinking about it. Um, The elders say, may God make this young woman like Rachel and like Leah. You'll notice that the people are starting to finally esteem Ruth and they're starting to finally value Ruth. From this point further, uh, she's no longer Ruth the Moabite. But she's being prayed for in this type of way. Maybe she counted great and noteworthy. May she be among the great mothers of our people. Man, there's a lot of prophetic potential in this prayer. And secondly, they pray for Boaz. Boaz, may you continue to be a worthy man. May you not just be prosperous, but may you be righteous. And he's been that way throughout the book of Ruth. And so they're praying that he would continue to be this sort of guy. Then we have this third prayer, and it's really interesting to me. They say they're going to pray for the family. They pray for the family. And they use Judah and Tamar. So is there even more a more messed up family in the entire Bible that you could compare Ruth and Boaz to? Judah and Tamar. You're comparing them to this? Uh, what is happening? So let me just give you some highlights of the story. Judah is one of the sons of Jacob and Leah. Tamar married one of Judah's sons, and the son died. Okay? So like Ruth, she was widowed and childless. The familial line was threatened. Judah then goes to Tamar and promises, hey, you can marry one of my other sons. But Judah did not keep his promise. So Tamar then disguises disguises herself as a prostitute and deceives her own father-in-law and gets pregnant by him. And the elders are like, may y'all be like Judah and Tamar. (laughs) Man, Ruth pursued a child by noble means. Tamar did not. Boaz's behavior towards Ruth was always godly. Judah's conduct was the opposite towards Tamar. However, both of these unions were under the sovereign and providential watch of God. And both of these unions would play an important role in salvation history. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, was promised to come through the line of Judah... And the son born to Judah and Tamar was a son named Perez, and he was the strongest son of Judah. And Perez's son was Hezron, and Hezron's son was Nashon, and Nashon would have a son and name him Boaz. And Boaz settled in Bethlehem, where this day they prayed for him to be great in Bethlehem. And little did they know as they were praying this prayer how great Bethlehem would be because of the descendants of Judah. David, the greatest king of all in Israel's history, is in this line. And eventually, Jesus, the Messiah. 
Much like the circumstances in Judah and Tamar's reunion, um, God was orchestrating a plan. And through Ruth and through Boaz, the line would continue. And therefore, through the sovereign work and providence of God on behalf, to act on behalf of his children, sinners can now be saved. Man, this is not the beginning. I'm sorry. This is not the end, but the beginning of the greatest love story ever told. Jesus Christ came to earth, born of a virgin, taking on human flesh, leaving sinless perfection, he came and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life, and yet was crucified for crimes he did not commit. Jesus died in our place, demonstrating the great love in which he has for creation. Jesus died in our place, demonstrating his great love for us, that God himself was willing to die for us. Jesus died the death that you and I deserve because of how great our sin is. Our sin, our treasonous rebellion is against God and it is broken fellowship with him. And therefore we deserve hell and death. But because of Christ's sacrifice to us, because of Christ's will to redeem us, we will never have to experience hell and death and brokenness because Christ's death has been satisfied. The wrath of, uh, the, Christ's death has satisfied the wrath of God against those whose faith is in Christ. And through Christ's resurrection, Christ has completed the process of putting sin and death to death once and for all. Our redemption has been accomplished. The payment has been made. Your debt has been paid for. Sin and death have no hold on you. If you are a believer in Jesus, sin and death have no claim on your life. Christ will never cast you off. Christ will never cast you out. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. Christian, you can never out God's ability to forgive you. If you are in Christ, heaven is sure and you can live for Jesus now because Christ has freed you to love him, delight in him, and follow him by faith in obedience to him today. And we have his word. We have his word to reveal to us his good and perfect will for us. And we also have his word that tells us he delights in us. Man, there's grace and mercy for you at the foot of the cross. What we see in the book of Ruth, Boaz is like Jesus. Ruth is like Jesus. May we be like Jesus too. May we be people who are called into faith who seek and desire to be people of character and commitment to Jesus. May we be people who are repentant of sin and active in love towards God and towards others. Man, Boaz was willing to, to sacrifice for the sake of Ruth. Boaz had the ability to redeem Ruth. Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of creation and could redeem us all through his blood. And he has purchased us by this blood. And a question to leave you with today is, have you considered this Jesus? 
Man, is your faith in him? Is your life marked by a desire to worship Jesus and to follow Jesus? Is your life marked by a desire to become more like Jesus through the laying down of your own desires and your own plans for your life? Or are you just living for yourself? Man, consider your own struggle right now, this morning, if you are a struggling Christian in here today. Man, I don't want to patronize you. I don't want to trivialize any of your pain. But I do want to tell you there's purpose in it. And Christ is working in it. If you'll let him. Like, lean into it. Lean into it with faith and dependency on the Lord. Jesus is enough for you. Through the word and through himself, God has given you everything you need to persevere by faith in him. So I'd ask you just to really consider that this morning. Man, if you're not a believer, this type of wondrous love is available to you as well. Man, all that's required of you is not good works. It's not enough effort. All that is required of you is an acknowledgement that you need it, that you need Christ. And Christ welcomes you just as you are. Weak and wounded though you may be, he sees you and loves you and wants you in spite of you. All that is required of you is that you would confess your need for forgiveness. So would you place your faith in him this morning? Let's pray.